Files released by the National Archives show American actor Sam Wanamaker was watched by the MI5 for several years for his alleged communist sympathies. Theatre researcher at the University of Warwick, Tony Howard, has been exploring the MI5 archives for months, and he talked to me about some fascinating information he'd uncovered about Sam Wanamaker. What I've been writing about for the last few years is the relationship between um, politics and classical theatre, because it's always seemed to me that classical theatre is a way that we have of responding to the things that are happening around us. It takes some time to write a play about a crisis, but if you're doing a production of a Shakespeare play, for instance, it's... Uh, it's very easy, and in fact, it's almost inevitable that you're going to be reflecting people's attitudes at the time. Um, but in particular, I've been interested in the way that Shakespeare is part of the way that a society looks at itself. So uh, I've recently written a book on women playing Hamlet, which is actually about the way that societies from Russia under Stalin um, through to uh, contemporary Turkey, say, um, have looked at what Shakespeare means and what it is to be a performer. And over the last year, I've become very interested in the way that in the 1950s and 60s particularly, not only were artists using Shakespeare to comment on that society, let's say Cold War society, not only were the artists doing it, but the state itself was aware that this was going on. So I've been not only looking at, if you like, conventional archive resources for studying theatre, which would be prompt books or the, uh, the archives of, say, the National Theatre or the Royal Shakespeare Company. But I've also been looking at government archives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been looking particularly at actors and directors who have a political life very much above the, above the, the parapet. Um, particularly Paul Robeson and, in this case, Sam Wanamaker, artists whose political commitment didn't stop them being great artists, but great creative figures, um, but did mean that that political commitment got them into direct contact um, with the state, with the FBI, with MI5. So I've been looking at actors and directors' files. What did society, in the form of um, the secret services, think about them? So just as a bit of background, can you just tell us what was happening in America at this time and how the MI5 were also involved? Okay, so we're talking about Sam Wanamaker particularly, whose files have just been released by MI5. Sam Wanamaker was a very typical artist. Um, He was from a family of Jewish immigrants, young man committed in the 1930s, very aware of social issues. As an actor, he became involved with um, some quite radical plays during the war. And of course, during the war, America, Britain and Russia were all allies. In that spirit of, if you like, idealism and anti-fascism, it was quite natural for him and hundreds of other artists to drift towards the Communist Party, either um, being a member for a short time or being a sympathiser or being simply left-wing. When, however, the Cold War replaced the Second World War, as everyone knows, really, in America particularly, these artists, writers, directors, actors, became anti-American, un-American. They came into the orbit of the House Un-American Activities Committee, which we call McCarthyism for short. Sam Wanamaker had been involved um, with a lot of organisations during the war, which were classified by the authorities as front organisations. That's to say, um, either they were created by the Communist Party or they were created by people who had links with the Communist Party or they just looked suspicious. Sam Wanamaker was an idealist and the first real um, public visibility of McCarthyism came around 1948-49 when a group of uh, mainly writers called the Hollywood Ten were indicted for suspicious activities and for refusing to state whether they were members of the, cons- of the Communist Party or not. Sam Wanamaker was one of a delegation of stars who flew to Washington um, to protest 
their persecution. Some of those stars included people like Humphrey Bogart. And the government really sat on them. And many of these uh, protesters had to apologize and backed off very much from being associated um, with un-American activities. Sam Wanamaker didn't. Sam Wanamaker continued um, to be a radical, continued to put himself at the um, disposal of left-wing organizations, civil rights organizations, anti-racist uh, organizations of various kinds. In 1949, he came and made a film here in England, which was directed by a, a guy called Edward Dimitrik, who had been one of the Hollywood Ten. In 1952, um, he came back and made another movie in the UK. And while he was here with his family, he discovered that he had been subpoenaed to appear before the House on American Activities Committee. So he came to England and received a subpoena to appear before the House on American Activities Committee and decided not to go back. In fact, he'd been under surveillance for a long time and only recently have his files in uh, America come to light. But what happened was, therefore, that he became one of a whole uh, group of American artists who became, if you like, political refugees in Britain, refugees from McCarthyism. And he was particularly associated um, with, for instance, movie directors like Joseph Losey or producers like Carl Foreman. So there was really quite a, uh, a flourishing community of very, very talented, uh, radical American filmmakers of different kinds um, who stayed in the UK. Um, and that was really why he came under observation, because he was seen to be one of those un-American un Americans, as the, as the MI5 often called them. He was already being watched because of his associations with various mm -hmm. groups. Did the fact that he stayed in the UK increase surveillance on him? Would that be something that would set up more alarm bells ringing for them? Had he gone home, he would have had to have appeared before the committee mm -hmm. and he would have to have testified, which would have resulted in probably because he was a very free-speaking person, mm -hmm. um, he wasn't one to hedge his bets in public, mm -hmm. that would probably have resulted in him being blacklisted. He might have joined a very small number of people who were subpoenaed by um, McCarthy, um, who just went underground and disappeared for years. So what in fact happened was um, he was under surveillance, but he knew he was. And he was very discreet, very careful. He didn't want to make any large gestures mm -hmm. because that would be satisfying to him. Um, but all it would result in would be that he and his family, his wife um, uh, Charlotte, who was also there was a file on, and her, their, their children, he and his family would have been uh, deported. So what the files are about is the fact that he's pursuing, if you like, from the point of view of the authorities, a double life in that he became an extraordinarily successful figure in uh, 1950s British television, theatre and film. He was an actor, he was a director, he was a producer, and he was successful in all of those areas. Um, but from the point of view of the security services, he had a past. And the very fact that he wouldn't get involved in obvious public activities made him doubly suspicious. And the first time that he comes uh, to their attention is um, in the early 50s uh, when a letter uh, that he wrote to a Canadian uh, woman in the film industry um, was intercepted. They weren't intercepting his mail, they were intercepting hers. But that put him on the list of known associates. And as it happens, the story here was that he was asked if he would like to come to a party just a social gathering, um, which would involve a number of like-minded people in the film industry, um, many of them American, many of them left-wing, some of them perhaps uh, communists. He wrote a very, very careful letter saying that he'd like to come, 
um, as, a, as a guest to the party. But because of his rather delicate situation, he could only come as a guest and he did not want her to use his name in any publicity. And he shouldn't really be asked to be a speaker. Well, what that letter did, um, as far as MI5 was, con was concerned, was to say everything this man now says is probably a lie. So over the years, they amassed quite an amount of material on his activities, um, none of which uh, was in any way particularly subversive or even very suspicious. Mm. Mm -hmm. But they always had this original document which said that um, it would be very uh, difficult of him um, to put himself in a situation where he might come into the orbit of the authorities. So therefore, the very fact that he didn't do anything was proof that he must really be doing something <laughs> they didn't know about. So the documents that you've been looking at, what kind of things have come out of those? Well, you get that. You, you get a sense of how there's a very, very strong connection um, in the 50s between the American authorities and the British. He's not like someone like Paul Robeson, where, um, because Robeson was known to be a very active left-winger, he already had a history in the UK, and therefore the MI5 resources uh, were put at the disposal of the FBI. And when Paul Robeson was here, they would directly report back to Washington on what he was doing. So there's a kind of a circuit that um, Paul Robeson would give a, a concert, say, in Coventry. A policeman in Coventry would give a report on that concert, which would go to Special Branch, who would then report to uh, the Home Office, who would then report to the American Embassy, who would then report to Washington and the FBI. It's not like that. Mm -hmm. Mainly the files of three kinds. There are documents which relate to his contacts. The fact that he was, for instance, a friend of Joseph Losey, and Joseph Losey had a, had a background and history. Um, the fact that people in the Communist Party were very, very impressed by him. That There are early memos which are based on phone taps, um, where they say there's a man who's just arrived and he's really very nice and he's very enthusiastic. So that kind of file goes in. So um, he has a file which is the fact that he's an American with contacts who are un-Americans. There's the fact that people want to make contact with him and they're communists. There's a degree of uh, straightforward observation of him, but most of the documents are in some way r related to his attempt to stay in the country. He and his family were admitted on short-term documents, which had to be renewed. And most most times when he comes into focus, it's because he's again applying for an extension. And what you then get is very interesting. You realise that it's not true that the state, with a capital S, is a monolith. It's not true that they, with a capital T, are watching us and they have one attitude towards us. What you realise is that in the case of Sam Wanamaker, and I'm sure many, many other people like him, there was a division between what uh, the American authorities thought and MI5 thought and the special branch and what the Home Office thought. The Home Office, every time his passport case came up, reviewed what he'd been doing. And that meant both getting information from the security services and looking at his career. And what you realise is that they were very impressed by his career. Um, they often compare him to other Americans who are in the country and they say he's a much bigger fish than them. Um, he has much more serious projects. He really does them really well. They were very interested by the fact that he wasn't just an actor, but also um, he was a producer and therefore involved in the business, the capitalist business of making art. And gradually you get the situations um, where the Home Office are actually disputing the judgments of MI5. But MI5 always have the last word. 
So that, that's what comes out. And then the, the big um, headline-grabbing example of that comes at the very end of his um, period under surveillance um, in 1957-8, um, when he set up this extraordinary group called the New Shakespeare Theatre Club in Liverpool, which is a theatre, um, it's a film club, um, it's a children's art centre, it's an art gallery, it's a concert hall and a jazz club. The idea was it would be a, uh, it would be a theatre place that was open 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And this really upset Special Branch <laughs> because they saw this as an example of a subversive attempting to move into the provinces and create a workers' palace um, for the creation of propaganda. So in that case, Special Branch, who didn't like him, wrote to MI5, who didn't like him, warning them of this new um, project, which was getting a great deal of publicity, because actually no one had done anything quite like that in this country before. So MI5, the head of MI5, wrote directly to the chief constable of Liverpool, asking for more information. And what is very interesting is that the report that went back to MI5 um, from a detective constable in Liverpool um, really said Sam Wanamaker is not involved in subversive activities. Um, the people who he's working with include some people who are left-wingers, but also a staunch conservative and the man who used to run the Café de Paris in London. So that's a, a, a replay, if you like, a magnification of this general sense that you get from this study of the 50s, that the people whose life is based on looking for enemies saw him as absolutely fitting the profile. Mm. The people on the ground floor, if you like, in the Home Office, the Passport Service, or the Alien Section, or Liverpool, even if they're authority figures, if you like, they realise this is someone actually who's doing something very, very good. So I think that those memos are fascinating, not just because they show you the, um, the obvious story, um, which is the fact that in the 1950s, people who were radicals were regarded as potential enemies of the state. And in his case, someone who should be interned in the case of a national emergency. Mm -hmm. It also shows you that the services are run by ordinary people. And it's sometimes possible to see through the propaganda and the stereotypes and actually look at the way people live. And that was really, I think, why um, times changed. Yeah. And we, up until today, really, have always known about Sam Wanamaker in terms of the, the Shakespeare's Globe. Having done this extraordinary thing in Liverpool, which was quite short-lived, he then did it all over again in, um, in, in London, um, rebuilding the Globe Theatre and making that an educational centre and a social centre and part of the life of South London. Now, you said there were some excerpts that you'd like to read. This is an example of the phone tapping, the, the, the basic surveillance. This is the first time um, that um, the British government hears about Sam Wanamaker. This is a phone tap of suspicious figures uh, linked to the Communist Party on the 27th of August 1951. Notes only. People were gathering for a meeting, Hebrew. Have to stop there. What you find if you look at the, the way that the arts were being surveyed in the 30s and 40s is there's an awful lot of anti-Semitism going on right. um, amongst those in authority. And this is uh, obviously a meeting of primarily um, Jewish people. A comrade, possibly Reuben, was heard giving a message to someone present for Peter Kerrigan. Reuben said it was rather important and he did not want to give the message over the phone. The message was something to do with two Americans, Wanamaker and Howard Forrest, question mark, who seemed to be in show business and who were evidently expected over here shortly. Regret unable to get correct gist. OK, um, Howard Forrest is actually Howard Fast, 
um, who's a very important novelist and activist. Um, but that's the first time that he appears in the files, not yet having arrived. And the fact that the first document about him um, is in communist circles is, again, one of the things um, which, as the files accumulate, always establishes him as someone who has suspicious affinities and friends and contacts. You also find that through the 1950s, um, MI5 had a number of informants in the arts world in Britain. One of Wanamaker's most successful early um, productions uh, was a play by Clifford Odets, um, which was performed in London and went on tour. And this is a report connected with that. This is 28th of April 1954. An actor called Peter Garston recently toured the country with Sam Wanamaker, Walter Hudd and Miles Mallison. He said that frequently... Discussions with a distinct communist bias were initiated in the company and that the above three individuals were prominent in initiating these discussions and taking what appeared to be the party line in the course of them. Peter Garston had also expressed concern at the influence which James Robertson Justice has with his communist views among young actors and actresses. Source is reliable. So that is something which um, I think we're not really uh, familiar with, the fact that there were quite a lot of um, informants and agents at work in the everyday entertainment industry in the 1950s, and they were commenting. And there's quite a lot of that sort of thing. So I just think it would be useful just to read you the, the incriminating letter uh, from way back, um, which proves that we can't trust this man because he's too clever. So this is to um, Pamela Nelman, the Canadian, and this is May 22nd, 1952. And this is Sam Wanamaker writing. Dear Miss Nelman, thank you for giving me the details of the party Roger McDougall spoke to me about. I want to make quite clear about any possible misapprehension you may have about my agreeing to attend the party. I want to do so purely as a private individual and cannot in any way be officially connected with it, nor could I permit my name to be printed on any mailing matter with reference to it. You must understand that being an American in Britain, one must tread with careful precision on matters involving peace, which has now become a highly political and controversial subject. You may know of the recent activities of the Un-American Activities Committee in America and the work of our American State Department in connection with the rescinding of passports belonging to people having been found connected with political and unfavourable groups abroad. Therefore, you see, I must be extremely careful about protecting that position and not doing anything which will give them cause, just or not, for any action of the above nature. So I see no particular point in meeting about certain matters relating to the party, as I shall only be, if I'm able to attend, a guest. I hope you'll understand this rather difficult position of mine, and I hope to be able to attend the party, and, of course, sincerely hope for the success of it and all it represents. Very sincerely, Sam Wanamaker. So it's a very careful document, very polite, laying out really his situation that he's primarily here as an artist. But as I say, um, this is referred to time and time again as evidence that he must be doing things that we don't know about. And in fact, in the middle 1950s, his passport was rescinded. Uh, it had run out and uh, the US embassy, in a sense, confiscated it mm -hmm. for, for a time. And in 1954... Again, I think triggered off by the fact that he was applying for a change to his status and also because of his contacts, his friends, uh, the other un-Americans that he knew, he was recommended for incarceration in the, in the event of an emergency. 